This morning's reading is from Hebrews chapter 7, and we're going to be reading the whole chapter. This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God most high. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him, and Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness, and also king of Salem means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Just think how great he was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. Now, the law requires the descendants of Levi, who became priests, to collect a tenth from the people. That is, from their fellow Israelites, even though they are also descended from Abraham. This man, however, did not trace his descendant from Levi. Yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. And without doubt, the lesser is blessed by the greater. In the one case, the tenth is collected by people who die. But in the other case, by him who is declared to be living. One might even say that Levi, who collects the tenth, paid the tenth through Abraham. Because when Melchizedek met Abraham, Levi was still in the body of his ancestor. If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, and indeed the law given to the people established by that priesthood, why was there still need for another priest to come, one in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron? For when the priesthood is changed, the law must be changed also. He of whom these things are said belongs to a different tribe, and no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah, and in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. And what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest, not on the basis of regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. For it is declared, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, the former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless, for the law made nothing perfect, and a better hope is introduced, by which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. Others became priests without any oath, but he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus had become the guarantor of a better covenant. Now, there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once and for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weakness. But the oath which came after the law appointed the son who has been made perfect forever. So you might remember that early last month, the United States had their presidential elections. Now, from start to finish, it was an eventful election. However, regardless of the year or the candidates, 
The premise of elections are relatively simple. You vote for the person who you think will lead the country well. Nobody votes for the person who they think will do a bad job or do a worse job than the other candidate. So generally, the candidates show the voters why they are best for the country and what they will do. But, you know, by doing this, everything about that person is scrutinised, from policies to character, from past political performance to even how they look. You know, in determining which person is fit to lead the country, well, the candidate is scrutinised in everything. And those who support the candidate, well, they lift up their good values, don't they? While those who are against that person highlight their blemishes. You know, one of my favourite parts about any election is the slogans. Because from just these few words, we can learn so much about who the candidate is. Famously, we have Donald Trump's Make America Great Again. Or his opponent, Joe Biden's Build Back Better. Abraham Lincoln, in his first term, had the slogan, Vote Yourself a Farm and Horses. And Calvin Coolidge, in 1924, was Keep Cool and Keep Coolidge. But I think Barack Obama, in 2008, conveyed the purpose behind the elections when his was simply hope. When we witnessed the US elections in October, we saw people placing their hope in someone to lead their nation. You know, it was all about hope and convincing people why they should have hope in that candidate. The same can be said about this chapter of Hebrews, as the author is convincing us, the reader, of Jesus' credibility of being a high priest and why he is much better than the priests who are currently there. In doing so, the author refers to Melchizedek. Now, we've had slight glimpses of Melchizedek over the past two weeks. And we've been sensing his importance. He is like a side character in a crime TV show, who we sense is important to the story. But we find out toward the end what their true involvement is, whether good or bad. Well, it is now that the author decides to place Melchizedek in the spotlight, finally explaining to us why he is so important. So our structure for the sermon this morning is, one, Melchizedek is a better priesthood, two, the need for one like Melchizedek, and three, Jesus' priesthood. So point number one, Melchizedek is a better priesthood. Now, if you've never heard of the name Melchizedek, I don't blame you. It's an uncommon name, isn't it? And I've never known anyone with the name Melchizedek. If you know someone with the name Melchizedek, feel free to let me know. But it's an obscure reference, isn't it? That you may only expect from pastors or scholars. But the author of Hebrews, well, he sees Melchizedek, this obscure figure, as being important in establishing Jesus' priesthood. 
Now, if we want to learn about who Melchizedek is, we need not go any further than the first verses in Hebrews chapter 7. Now, first verses recount the story found in Genesis chapter 14, verses 18 to 24. And feel free to look back at it to get a fuller context. But in this story, Abraham meets Melchizedek after a battle. Melchizedek blesses him, and Abraham gives him a tenth of everything he owns. In these first few verses, they also establish the righteousness of Melchizedek. Now, he wasn't some no-name off the street, but a priestly king of Salem, which means peace. And lastly, he remains as a priest forever, as it says in verse 3. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. This is not to say that Melchizedek still lives. But in the story of Genesis, we never learn about his lineage. and We never hear what happens to him. And it is in this way, this metaphorical sense, that Melchizedek resembles the Son of God, Jesus, who truly does live forever. But you may be asking what the point of these three verses were. Well, it is to establish how Melchizedek is greater than the Levitical priests. Now, if we think of how in presidential races, you usually want a politician who has the credentials. Well, the Levitical priests were the tried and tested priests who had been the priesthood since the law was established with Moses. Now, they were the only way you could become a priest. And they were the only people who interceded for the sins of the people of Israel. Now, they were the only way that you could become right with God. However, the author is arguing that there is someone outside of the Levitical order who is even better and superior to the already established priesthood. So he starts in verse 4 saying, Just think how great he was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. Now, if you are unsure of who Abraham is and his importance, Abraham is the founder of the Jewish people. And in the Old Testament, not many people come close to his importance. He's like the George Washington or the Julius Caesar of the Old Testament. Well, the author of Hebrews says that there is someone even greater and superior to Abraham, Melchizedek. He argues the point uh, that relate to two roles of a priest. The first is tithes and the second is blessings. So the, the first argument concerns tithes. Both Melchizedek and the Levites were given a tenth of earnings as a tithe. In that way, they are similar. However, there is a big difference. Whereas the Levites collected the tithe from within their nation, Melchizedek, who is outside of the nation, who is not an Israelite, well, he collects from Abraham himself. 
Melchizedek had the right to collect the money, just as the Levites had the right to collect a tithe from their own people. But the difference is that Melchizedek could collect the tithe from Abraham, the patriarch, you know, the, the first of the nation. Well, the second argument concerns blessings. Blessings were another important role of the priesthood. And here we have Melchizedek blessing Abraham. The author puts it simply in verse 7 when he says, And without a doubt, the lesser is blessed by the greater. This may not seem to be significant, but we mustn't forget that Abraham is important. Verse 6 says that Melchizedek blesses him who had the promises. Abraham was not some no-name person, but someone who was chosen by God to be the patriarch of an entire people. This year, a 100-year-old man, Sir Thomas More, was knighted for raising nearly $60 million for the National Health, Series, Health Service in the, in the UK. It was a touching story, and being united is a great honour. But no one can imagine the Queen being knighted, could they? Or having an honour being bestowed on her. And if someone did, well, then that person would indeed be special, wouldn't they? It is the same way with Abraham. He is such an important person that the person who blessed him would have to be even more special. So Melchizedek proves himself to be greater than the Levitical order because he is greater than Abraham, who he blessed. So we have established who Melchizedek is and that he is greater than the Levitical priest because he collected a tithe and blessed Abraham. But now we need to consider why the writer of Hebrews bothered with explaining Melchizedek's superiority and the implications of why there is a better priesthood in Melchizedek. So that brings us to our second point, which is the need for one like Melchizedek. In verse 11, the author of Hebrews argues... If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, and indeed the law given to the people established that priesthood, why was there still need for another priest to come? One in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron. Well, the answer to that question is because perfection could not be attained through the Levitical priesthood there needed to be someone from a different, more superior priestly order. You see, perfection here isn't the idea of sinless perfection, but rather the idea that the Levitical priesthood could never achieve its end. It could never achieve or ne never finish its mission. So the problem was the priestly order even with all their sacrifices, could not take away sin and restore relationship with God. If they could, there would be no need for another priest and someone outside of that priestly order. And second, there is mention of the law. Well, that's because the priesthood was fundamental to the law. 
It regulated and administered the sacrifices. And they mediated between God and his people. In other words, the priesthood was at the very heart of the law. So if the author of Hebrews said that the priestly order is faulty and could not do what it set out to do, and so needs to change, or the law must also be changed so that sin could be adequately dealt with and reconciliation can take place. So the inability for the Levitical priesthood to achieve its end meant there was need there was a need for a better high priest, for someone who could deal with sin and could restore the relationship between God and humanity. Someone who is more superior. And it is here that Jesus is introduced as a priest in the order of Melchizedek. First off, Jesus is not like the Levitical priests. This is because Jesus is not from the tribe of Levi, is he? This is important to the author of Hebrews because he has just established that a better priesthood, Melchizedek's, is outside of the Levitical priesthood. Now, to some Jewish ears, and maybe to the listeners and readers of Hebrews, this would have been a point of contention that a non-Levite could become a priest. But to the order of, author of Hebrews, well, this is a relief because the Levitical priesthood well, it's essentially failed at its task. This is also important because in verse 17, the author refers to Psalm 110 verse 4, that you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Well, just like Melchizedek, this priest will be forever. Not a priest based on family ancestry, but in verse 16, based on the power of an indestructible life. This indestructible life refers to Melchizedek's living forever in the literary sense. And this new priest will be forever. And it is because of this new priesthood that we can have hope. In, verse, in verses 18 to 19 it says, The form of regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless, for the law made nothing perfect. And a better hope is introduced, by which we draw near to God. We need a better priest, and we need someone who can atone for our sins. The Levitical priesthood could not do this. But this priest, from the order of Melchizedek, can. And this brings us to our third point, Jesus' priesthood. In stark contrast to the Levitical priesthood, Jesus' priesthood is appointed by God. It is forever and it truly meets our need. The first aspect of Jesus' priesthood is that it was declared by God. This is what it says in verses 20 to 22. And it was not without an oath. Others became priests without an oath, but he became a priest with an oath. When God said to him, the Lord has sworn 
and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. In chapter 6, we have already seen the importance of the oath. In verse 16, people swear by someone greater than themselves. And the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all arguments. God's oath is a guarantee that his promise will never change. And this contrasts with others who became a priest without an oath. Now, the idea of this oath is from Psalm 110 verse 4, which reiterates that God does not change his mind. When he declares something, and the thing he declares is, you are a priest forever. It's the weight of this declaration which makes Jesus' priesthood greater than all priesthood. Other priests, well, they became priests because of their heritage and their ancestry and because of the law. But Jesus, well, he became a priest because of God's oath. Now, if we, if we step back and think about the importance of this, it means that the one who intercedes on our behalf, Jesus, and allows us to draw near to God is not a priest because of his family lineage or just because. No, he is a priest because God has chosen him and he can do the job and he can do it right. There is so much hope in trusting in God's declaration and the fact that Jesus is a priest because God has made it so. The second point is Jesus has a permanent priesthood. Now, it is in this way that he follows Melchizedek, who remains a priest forever. However, in this case, Jesus does remain forever as a son of God. Again, this contrasts with the priests who do not live forever, but are mortal. So they are succeeded by someone else because, well, that's what happens when you're mortal. You die and then someone needs to take your place. But Jesus is succeeded by no one else because he lives forever. And his priesthood was permanent and unchanging. Now, the question could be asked as to the importance of Jesus living forever. Well, verse 25 answers this, saying, Therefore, he's able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Firstly, we are saved completely by coming to God through Jesus. Not only does this mean that we are saved completely through Jesus perfect sacrifice, and as a result, we are able to approach God. But Jesus also acts as an intermediary between believers and God. This becomes clearer in the second half of the verse, where we are told that Jesus intercedes for us. Not only is his sacrifice total in its effect, but he also continually intercedes for us, meaning he continually argues on our behalf to God. Just like a high priest who would intercede for the people, 
Jesus intercedes for us continually. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, it says, But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. We can have hope and assurance in the fact that we have an advocate, someone who pleads, in our, cause, plead, who pleads our cause on our behalf. And it is not just anyone, but Jesus Christ, the one who lives forever. So Jesus continues in his priestly role to the end of time until it is complete. Lastly, Jesus is a high priest who meets our need. He is appropriate and right for us. He meets our need in his character, his sacrifice, and he has been made perfect. Firstly, his character is one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners and exalted above the heavens. Jesus is without sin, and as a result, he was exalted. Jesus' uniqueness is highlighted, that he was not like one of us. And because of this, he meets our need. Now, this is fully understood in the second point, that he meets our need through his sacrifice. And because Jesus is without blame and he's perfect, his sacrifice is perfect. And once and for all. Now, this is for two reasons. The first is that Jesus did not have to offer sacrifice for himself as the priests did. You know, because the priests were like us. They were sinful, fallen human beings. They had to offer sacrifices every day. First for their own sins and then for the sins of the people. This endless repetition highlights the futility of this system. That the efforts of humans to solve problem to solve the problem of sin doesn't work. You know we can't rely on our own works and efforts. Just as the Levitical priests who were instructed on how to live and offer sacrifices, they still could not solve this problem. Instead, it is the second reason that Jesus' sacrifice is perfect and meets our need. This is that Jesus offered himself once and for all for our sins. Whereas the priests would offer their sins each day, Jesus only needs to do it once. This is simply because Jesus did not sacrifice bulls or goats, but sacrificed himself, paying the price for our sin. And he meets our need in his total and perfect sacrifice. Lastly, he meets our need because he has been made perfect. We have already made the point that perfect refers to achieving its end. And Jesus had completed his purpose. He has met our need by completing his mission of atoning for the sins of the people. This is different from the priests who were men, mortal, sinful, and not able to adequately atone for sins. But Jesus can complete what he set out to do. And it is in this that we have a better hope. Now, it may seem hard to see the application of this passage. It has some hard, complicated parts to understand. 
and complicated and hard to put into practice here in today. Uh, we may not think that Melchizedek or the discussion about the priestly order helps us at all in our daily life, but it does. And it shows that we can only have hope in Jesus. That even the priestly order, which was set up to help people be reconciled with God and their sins forgiven, could not fulfill its promise. It could not do what it set out to do. Well, it's the same with our own life. We can't have hope that we ourselves will be able to pay the penalty for sin. Or through our own merit, have eternal life. But we can have hope in Jesus. That through his perfect sacrifice, our sins are paid for. And that even now, he is interceding on our behalf. And we can have hope that his priesthood, his intercession, intercession is better and more complete than what we can do and what others can do. Now, if you would like to know more about Jesus and why it's important that he paid for our sins, then contact us or talk to a friend who invited you along. And also, I hope we can have confidence in Jesus that we can be assured of where he is and what he is doing right now. I'm going to conclude with the words of Jesus as he interceded for us on, on earth in John chapter 15, verses 6 to 12. He says, I revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those who you have given me. For they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name that you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe. By that name you gave me. So we can have hope and confidence in Jesus. And know that he is praying for us. He is wanting us to be in eternal life with him. And we can have hope that what he has done on earth. Well is complete and has achieved its end. So let me pray for us. Um, as we go into our weeks and conclude our service. Now oh, let me pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, oh, we just thank you. We thank you in, that in you we have something better. Thank you that in uh, Jesus um, we have a priesthood, a priest who has um, atoned for our sin and who intercedes for us. Not as a, as a mortal human here on earth, but as someone at your right hand. 
So we pray um, during our week that we will just be able to rely on this hope, be able to understand you more fully, and to just have you with us. I pray uh, these things in Jesus' name. Amen.